Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Transformational Coaching Podcast. This is your host, Brandon Hyman. Hoping everybody's having a great Tuesday morning. Uh, it's 11 a.m. here on the East Coast in the sunny big city of Florence, South Carolina. Um, been a great morning. So I uh, had a big day yesterday, was able to complete my certification for my new job. So we are on to phase two of training for that. So I have a few days to kind of recharge the batteries a little bit before we go into the second level of training, which will run into March, the later part of March. So um, we're cruising right through these things, man. This is episode eight. Okay, if uh, you would have told me eight episodes ago, I thought I'd still be talking into this microphone. Eight episodes later, I would have told you you were crazy. Um, but I tell you why I keep doing it, guys. Uh, it's the former players, it's former parents, current parents, coaches, uh, people from all over that I have. I don't even know. Um, got a message on Twitter last night from a fellow named Mister Ken. Uh, has been listening and. Uh, when you get stuff like that, it means a lot. Um, it lets you know that, you know, kind of the calling that you have to continue doing things like that, like this, uh, it's worth it. So I'm going to get a little personal today. Uh, and a couple podcasts in the past, um, I've talked about, you know, there's really two key stories that sum up why I'm where I'm at. And um, today we're going to talk about that. Uh, not crazy in depth, but... I get I've, I, as part of this whole journey and this information, the content that's been being put out there and stuff, you know, I get, I get a lot of questions like, man, what's your background? Like, how, how'd you get here? You know? And, um, you know, for a long time, I used to always be hesitant about telling people like the dark side of how I got to where I'm at today. Um, just because from a judgmental standpoint, it's like, man, you know, do I want people to know that? Like, is it relevant? But, as I got older and more mature and got into coaching and stuff like that, it's, you know, it's part of who I am, right? It's part of my journey, my path to redemption. Um, it's part of who I am. So like, there's no reason in running from it. If, if I tell somebody my story and they don't want to have anything to do with me or don't want their kids to be coached by me or don't want me to be a part of their staff or don't want me as an employee or whatever, then, probably wasn't the best that probably wasn't the best situation for me um but i do feel like coming from where i've come from you know seeing the you know the lows of the lows um that i've seen be self-inflicted by the way totally self-inflicted um it gives me a unique perspective to try to help other people not make the same mistake and and maybe you know i used to sell a product called chantix and you know, Chantix was a good drug, but, you know, and people who, who listen to this who've tried Chantix are like, yeah, but it made me have terrible dreams. Yeah, it probably did. Um, but it was a good drug, but what Chantix really gave was it gave somebody who smoked cigarettes and somebody who'd been smoking for years, it gave them a path forward. It gave them some hope, right? Um, you would take Chantix and you'd wake up and you wouldn't crave that cigarette first thing in the morning, right? And I don't want to compare my journey to Chantix, but it's funny that Chantix was actually a part of my journey because I sold it for a while. But, um, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. If I can give some one person, two people, 10 people, you know, 
one kid who's struggling in life, a kid I coach, he's struggling in, in life. He hears my story and says, you know what, if Coach Hyman can do it, I can do it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like then then we're leaving the world better than we found it, and that's the ultimate goal. So uh, we'll talk about all that in a little bit, but um, I want to talk about yesterday, man. I want to talk about yesterday, okay? Couple, uh, couple things that aren't related to this pod or to this article that's getting released here shortly with this podcast. But let's talk about why baseball is such a great game. All right, let's talk about it. So the Bruins went one and one yesterday. Varsity team went down to Andrews, big fifteen nothing victory uh, over those guys. Uh, Aiden Palmer threw his third or fourth career no hitter. Um, it might have been fifth. I need to look at this the uh, stats on that. But the bats were alive. Twelve hits. Um, a couple of big performances by Chandler Thompson, Wyatt Williams. Uh, I think both of those guys had multiple hits. Wyatt Williams was had a great day. I think he went three for three, four RBIs. Chandler Thompson two for two, stolen base. Um, a lot of good things happened yesterday. Uh, I think about everybody in the lineup got a hit. Uh, so, anyways, uh, it was a good day for the Varsity Bruins. It's a quick trip, to, quick trip to Andrews there and back. So, want to know to start the year? Uh, we'll be back in action tonight. Manning Monarchs uh, going against a former guy played against Justin Gandy. Good guy. I think he played. Yeah, he played over at Darlington back in the day. Um, was a really good player. Things really good coach. He's one of kind of the new young up and comers in the game right now in our state. So, be cool to see him. Um, see what how their squad is. So be ready to compete again. But uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about our JV baseball game last night because it was it was interesting. Okay, but it's uh, there was a lot to be learned last night, and there was a lot of uh, life lessons that were learned last night, um, including a little bit of progress from a guy. Well, not progress, but growth. Saw some growth out of somebody that I've known for a long time. So we'll talk about it. Uh, we had playoff baseball atmosphere going on uh, at the Bruins' den last night for a JV baseball game. I mean, it was back and forth. If you look at the final score, 16 to 10, um, that really doesn't tell the full story. But I mean, it was back and forth the whole game. We jumped out to a 2 nothing lead, then we made back to back to back errors on the infield. Same guy. Um, in the second inning and, uh, you know, it was, it was a sloppy game. All right. It was a sloppy game and, and we watch these guys practice every day. Right. But anytime you have a rivalry game going on, especially this early in the year, it's all, and we play them second game of the year, every single year on JVs. And it's the same story every year. Right. Uh, anybody who knows anything about West and South Lawrence, um, doesn't matter what the sport is. It's tremendous rivalry. Um, historically in baseball and, and this is no knock on West Lawrence. So if you're a West person and you're listening to this, this is, it's no knock. Traditionally they're a Mali group. Okay. Uh, again, don't mean that negatively. I think that's fine. Okay. I love it. Um, I don't like our guys to do that because I just think you open yourself up to a lot, but if, if you're going to be about that, be about it. And they're about it when they're getting drilled and they're about that when they're getting, when they're, uh, when they're winning. So, you know, I don't have a problem with it. You know, they don't go cry home uh, when they've been running their mouth and they get trounced, which we've done a few times over the last couple of years. Love you guys. Um, but anyways, 
is what it is. But I think the one good thing I like about playing that crew is you know they're going to be loud, they're going to be fired up, and then I'm always interested to see how our younger guys handle it. And <laughs> we did not handle it well last night. And, and that's and that's fine. It's the second game of the year. You would expect things like that. But um, last night was a good lesson on, you know, why you got to stay locked in on each other, your teammates, you know, lean on each other when things get tough and when things start to snowball. And you can't be locked in on what's going on in the other dugout or the things that are getting said or what the other fans are saying and stuff like that. Um, and that's one thing I think – our varsity team's really good at is they've kind of, they've gone through these growing pains, right? They went through the second game of the year where, you know, things are loud and crazy and boisterous. And, you know, you're a ninth grader, never played high school baseball like this before. There's 200 people there and it's a great environment, but uh, that's one thing our varsity team does well. They know how to lean on each other. Um, in those moments instead of getting away from the game plan and worrying about what's going on outside of the gate or, you know, in the other dugout and stuff like that. And, but the good news is those varsity guys who handle that well today, they were JV guys who didn't handle it well two years ago, three years ago, stuff like that. So um, it's always cool to see kind of that journey and, and, uh, and all that. I mean, I, I hate, we lost last night. We lost, we, we totally fell apart in the seventh um, and games are won in the fifth the last nine eight and the last nine outs of the game, you're gonna win or lose on those those nine outs, most likely. You gotta be the best team innings five through seven. Um and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how we bounce back. We get them four more times this year. So I think with the I think talent wise, I think we're a better baseball team. I just do top to bottom, I think we're more talented. They definitely have some good players, but I just think I like the way we roll out a little bit better than they do. Um and that's no knock on them. They're extremely talented over there. Baseball in Florence, South Carolina is going to be rich for about the next 15 years. I mean, there's a, just a tremendous amount of talent. Um, and in our, our, our city, we've got like five high schools, right? we got three 4A high schools, public schools. Then we have, let's see, one, two, three, three private schools. Um, so we've got great talent just kind of dispersed all over the place. I think we got good coaches in the city. Uh, doing things the right way. Um, everybody puts their own little spin on things. So Florence is rich in talent. Um, if you're not doing any recruiting down here, it's you're missing an opportunity because we got some great competitors, some some guys that really play the game hard. So, but anyways, it'd be interesting to see how we handle that moving forward. I think we'll we'll be fine. Um, but it's it's just always fun to have that that rivalry that early in the year because in, in varsity we got to wait till like the last last series of the season to get a little piece of that. Um, but anyways, I, one little one little shout-out I want to give to somebody, and I won't mention their name, but we did have a guy who transferred from South over to West last year. And, I, and this is a kid I've known since he was about nine years old. We had a situation in the game last night where, um, you know, it was like second and third, one out, seventh inning, clean up hitters at the plate. He's last two bats, he's ripped like two missiles in the gap for doubles, so – I think as coaches, we were sitting there. We actually didn't pay attention. The kid really pay attention to who was on deck. I think what we were thinking was, like, we can't let this guy beat us, right? You know, intentionally walk this guy. Maybe we roll into a double play on the next one. Maybe, you know, we get a rollover to the third baseman and we, you know, 
hit a five, two, three put out or something like that. But anyway, so we intentionally walked this guy and it just sets the stage for this kid who, you know, the homecoming, right. You know, step into the box. They intentionally walked this guy to face me. They don't think I'm good enough. You know, it said the stage. And then as a coach, like, you just know, like I lean, I remember talking to coach Allison and coach Scott and, and we were like, <laughs> I think we all were like, you know, what's about to happen. Like it's, it's going to happen. Uh, it's just the way to, the way the game was going, the way the night was going uh, from the time we took pregame, you just kind of felt like we were out of character. So you knew like in this moment, we probably were going to be on the short end of the stick. Um, and we did kid came in. Had great at bat, hit a nice what should have been a nice sack fly to left. Would have scored one run. You know, it was deep enough to score. Hit it, hit it really well into the win. Uh, we missed it. Still don't know how we missed that, but it happens. Um, it's baseball. Can't feel a thousand percent. Um, stuff like that happens, but uh, yeah. So I I just remember after the competitiveness and everything else wore off last night. I remember thinking good for that kid, man. Cause I, I remember there was a time where that kid could, you know, he's a young kid and going through a lot and, um, you know, he always was a little bit emotional, not in a bad way, just, you know, played the game hard, really cared a lot. And, and I remember sometimes I would get the best of him and it was looking back now, it was really good to see that in that moment as a, high school kid now um he was able to have success and slow the game down and do what he needed to do i hate it i hate that it happened again so I, I looked down when he got third base and why'd you have to do us like that man he's like hey my, you know shouldn't have walked the guy in front of me <laughs> and uh it's good i am good i'm i'm but after the fact it's like i'm glad that kid was able to do that i hate it happening against us but anyways that's just my two cents on that um kind of point of that was stick to the game plan man lean on your teammates don't pay attention to all that noise going on in the other dugout. Um, again, I, I don't like us to do that. We we try not to do that, but I don't have anything against somebody that's that's the way they like to do things. It's it's I mean, hey, look, so, sometimes when you're not as talented as the other team, you got to do other things to keep yourself in the game, and um, you know that's that's in any sport. So it's actually good gamemanship. But anyways. Nothing against those guys. Those guys are well coached. I think the world of their their head coach and and their assistants, <clears throat> good guys. So, anyways, all right. So I'm going to jump right into this. Um, we're 14 minutes in. I've done a lot of talking about last night. Um, so the topic today, uh, again, it's personal. Uh, this story means a lot to me. So. I'm going to talk through it, um, but there's a there's an under overwhelming theme that like I want our players and I and I've talked to them about this before. Maybe not in the complete specifics, but any player I've ever coached would talk this in some capacity about Coach Iman having some moments in life where he was in a really bad spot and had to work himself out of it. Um, so the theme here is never stop answering the bell and. Uh, that's an old boxing thing, I think. You know, you've been wearing haymakers from Mike Tyson for, well, knowing if you're wearing them from Mike Tyson or people like that, you probably didn't make it past the first round or two back in his heyday. But, you know, you've been wearing haymakers from Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Klitschko, all those people for 
11 rounds. You know you're losing on the scorecard big. You know, your body's ready to quit. It's telling you, man, there ain't no reason in going out there. This thing's over, right? You know, but I don't want to answer the bell. You answer the bell anyways, okay? Um, because, you know, I'll talk about the because in a second, but, like, examples in baseball would be, like, you know, having the courage to dig in the box after going hitless in three or four games, right? One of my favorite people to listen to, Steve Steve Springer, one of the best mental coaches in the game, um, in my opinion. He always talked about having the right guy show up, right? He always talked about an opening day mindset mentality. When you show up on opening day, nobody in the history of baseball has ever been upset. And the reason why is there's no 0 for 4 from yesterday. There's no three errors from yesterday. There's no... I haven't gotten a hit in five games weighing on you, right? You show up, it's the possibilities are endless. I can still bat a thousand, even though nobody in the history of the game's ever batted a thousand. For some reason we show up and we think that, and that's good. Okay. But um, you know, answering the bell is in baseball. Another example would be having the courage to want the baseball after you booted the last three balls hit to you. That happened last night, right? Baseball is a funny game, man. The ball is going to find you when you don't want it. Every time. No doubt about it. So, how do you answer? You answer the bell. You boot one, so what? Next pitch, okay? And you're locked in for the next 10 seconds on this pitch, okay? I want the baseball, okay? I'm answering the bell because it puts me right back in the center of the ring and it gives me an opportunity to to do something positive, right? Another example as a pitcher, throw your best pitch. I mean, I mean, you hit that spot you were looking for. It comes out of the hand perfectly. Bam. Oppo taco, 385, right center field gap, right? Gone. You're sitting there thinking, dude, that was best pitch of thrown all night, right? Okay. Got to have the courage to come right back with it. Because there's always going to be another pitch, man, like in 20 seconds, right? So, Got to answer the bell. Um, having the courage to keep fighting late in the game when the scoreboard, sa- scoreboard says to cash it in. That's another one, you know. Last night, we're down 16-10 going to the bottom of the seventh after it was, you know, tight tight game, the whole game. And, um, you know, I could tell by the bats we had, we didn't answer the bell in the seventh. We had mentally just – we they broke us. They broke us. Um, and that's okay. They're young, Okay. If you're going to get broken, this is the time to do it on JV baseball level, right? So, those are just some a- examples from a baseball standpoint. If you're a player or a parent or a baseball coach, you know, that you can refer back to that. But, you know, what most of these young guys don't understand early on is the significance of why you keep answering the bell, what it does for you, what it does for your team, you know, what it does to get you off the ropes. You know, you can be getting pummeled. You're in the corner, just wham, wham, wham. Life's beating you down, opponents beating you down, the bell rings, you go sit down in your corner, okay? Bell rings again, guess where you start? You start in the center of the ring. Even if it's just for a minute, right? You start in the center of the ring, okay? And during those moments when you bring the fight back to the middle, uh, you got a puncher's chance, okay? You're one, you're one, you're connecting, you're one punch connecting away from being back in it. Um, 
And, you know, when you answer the bell, a lot of times, uh, because it puts you back in the middle of the ring, it takes you out of defense mode, right? It puts you into attack mode. And in that process, you can totally flip the course of a game um, to where you've been getting worn down, you know, worn down all game, okay? This guy's been eating our lunch the first four innings, okay? We're down three nothing, okay? We're still in the game, but our morale's down because, you know, we're 12 batters deep and we've caved nine times, right? You know, but, you know, we're a walk, a couple walks, pass ball, and a base hit away from being right back in it, right? So that's what we talk about, puncher's chance, getting into uh, getting into offensive mode, getting into attack mode. Um, and look, sometimes it doesn't end up that way, though, right? Like, sometimes you, you answer the bell and you're right back on the mat. It's just that simple. Um, but the big thing is there's lessons to be learned every time, right? And especially through the game of baseball, right? Or, or football or whatever. Like the earlier we learn the lessons, the better. And those lessons are going to help you later in life. I know for me, uh, on my journey to where I'm at today, there's a million lessons I learned playing high school baseball that have helped me be the adult that I am. Um, including answering the bell, right? Um, yeah. My junior year, I was 0 for 18. I couldn't, couldn't buy a hit at one point a year. Literally, 0 for 18. Went 0 for 18 my junior year during the stretch and still managed to finish my career as being, you know, an above 300 hitter with an above 500 on base percentage, right? And uh, I remember specifically during that time period, like, I mean, it was hard. It was hard. Like, you know, you start up your three-hole hitter, then you drop down to five, then you go down to seven, then you go down to nine, and Coach Gray's like, hey, man, you know what's happening next. And uh, I still remember when I came out of my slump. It was against uh, it was against uh, West Florence my junior year. One of my really good friends was on the mound. The guy I grew up with, Charlie Abbott. Um, literally, first pitch he threw to me in the second inning, hit it about 385 to dead center, home run, broke out of the slump right there. Had a great game. Um, but I, I remember if it weren't for Kathy Griffin – okay, who was Davis Griffin's mom, I would have never had the courage to keep on getting up there and fighting because I remember her and Mr. Allen and her parent. It was either his parents or her parents. They would sit right there next to the gate. And uh, she would literally sit there and pray for me and on deck her because she knew what I was going through. Like, it, it's hard. Those are bad. They stack up on you, man. Now, today, you know, I try to coach kids to, hey, you know, Every at bat's a new opportunity, right? You know, your 0 for 18 has nothing to do with your ability to go one for one right now. But, you know, as a 17 year old, I didn't understand that, obviously. But, anyways, um, I've talked for a while now, uh, for a while now on the different podcasts. I've mentioned a couple of times about, you know, my personal story. Uh, you know, at one point, I was going to share it and, talk about my life and my journey towards redemption. And uh, my story literally is all about answering the bell, um, even when you don't have the courage or energy to do it, because I didn't. Um, my story is all about what happens when you've been getting thrashed on the scorecard of life, but but you find something worth answering the bell for one more time. So 
again, this story is going to be personal. Uh, there's some of you that have known me for years and you've had no idea what you're about to listen to. Okay. That's the disclaimer. Uh, it's not fun for me to talk about this stuff. Uh, it's probably going to be kind of weird for you to listen or read it. Um, but the story is important to how I made it to where I'm at. And uh, it's what fuels me to do what I do every day. So I'm not ashamed of it because um, it wouldn't be possible for me to be who I am uh, today without it. So this uh, this whole story for me, like the lowest point of my life really picked up after my second stint of college baseball. And uh, my second stint as a student at Florence Starlington Tech uh, when things got too hard again, in quotation marks. I talked about that before, you know, life got too hard and that was kind of the consistent theme for me. Um, the thing we didn't talk about at this point was the problems that I had accrued over the years after I graduated high school. And, you know, the big thing for me was the ability to do anything in moderation. Right. Um, I didn't know how to do anything in moderation. Like I couldn't drink without trying to get blackout drunk. Uh, if I was going to smoke, I had to I had to chain smoke cigarette after cigarette after cigarette. Uh, if I was going to gamble, I had to gamble everything. You know, I couldn't I couldn't just go have a good time without getting totally reckless. Um, and I think that's kind of how I had lived the majority of my life early on, just YOLO, man. Um, felt like I was invincible, just which is normal for high school kids, uh, especially young people. So. But self-control, right, um, especially self-control with things like sobriety, um, that's what ultimately put me down a path at this point in my life where I was either going to end up in prison or I was going to end up dead. One of the two, it, it, there wasn't going to be an in-between. Like That's just the path I was heading down. Um, so I'll take you back uh, when I was – dealing with that hamstring injury um, leading into my freshman year of college. That's when I started feeding myself an unhealthy amount of alcohol, marijuana, things like that. Those, you know, drinking and smoking had really become, that was my Molotov cocktail for dealing with injury. You know, I remember I'd go out to the field, watch baseball games from the dugout for the majority of the season while I was recovering. Um, enjoy about a whole can of dip every night. Um, and then I would leave that game and I'd go party till I passed out, sleep until about three o'clock and do it all over again. Yeah. I was going hard, man, like hard, hard. And I distinctly remember that like now when I look back to like what my mind was telling me was normal back then, like, um, you know, I felt like it was normal to just do the way I was doing. But when I look back at the people I was hanging out with, like, I remember it was hard to go hard like I wanted to go every night because not everybody else wanted to do that, right? You know, they have fun one or two nights a week, but, you know, they'd focus on getting a good night's sleep, you know. Hey, I got to get up early and go to a job tomorrow. Hey, I'm going out to eat with my parents tonight. Hey, you know, uh, whatever. Like, it's a... Uh, they understood moderation, right? I didn't. I was totally out of control. Um, 
and looking back at it now as an adult, it's no shock that I ended up where I was at the lowest point of my life, right? Because the groundwork for that had been paved for a long time, right? Long time. And I'll preface this by saying, you know, I had good parents. It wasn't, you know, people say, well, it's got to be, it wasn't. You got to remember the kid that they were dealing with, right? I was, you know, it was a lot to parent me, okay? I'll just say it. So, um, anyways, uh, so that was kind of the backstory of that. Now, you fast forward to my second go around at Flodar, um, and I quit the team for the second time. I dropped out of school for the second time, you know? And really what was telling of all that is just prior to all that happening, like you hear people talk about functioning functioning uh, functioning alcoholics and stuff like that, right? Um, I was a functioning train wreck, okay? That's what I was. Uh, and I think most people who would associate it with me back then, they would tell you, hey, he did a pretty good job of hiding what all, what all he had his hands in. Um, but the truth was, I was losing a battle with addiction uh, that at the time I didn't know I was losing because I still had a false sense of hope that, hey, maybe this baseball thing's going to work out and it'll pull me out of the mess that I still really didn't even recognize that I was in, right? But when you pulled the structure of school and the structure of baseball uh, from the equation, um, it, I lost control, right? Because those things with, with that structure, I still had to hold it together long enough to keep myself on the team or keep myself in school. Um, but after I lost that, that's when the worst version of me finally showed up. So, you know, sometime later that. So <clears throat> messed that all up. So sometime later that year, um, I don't want to talk about specifics, just specific time frames, just because, you know, anyways. Um, yeah, my battle with addiction really came to its worst point, right? Um, I was tired. I honestly was ready to quit on life. I was out of people in my corner. Uh, everybody used to care, no longer cared, because, you know, let's face it, I was screwing everything up, right? Stealing. Um, stealing from people, you know, conning my way into situations to get things I needed to fuel addiction. I mean, it, it was a really bad process. Um, and the only person that was in my corner, I didn't want them in my corner, um, because I was trying desperately to get away from them, um, because they represented everything that I never thought I would end up like, right? Um, but I didn't have the courage to just wake up and walk away because, you know, I was like, well, I'm be left with nothing. Right. Um, when I think about life, uh, sorry, not life. When I think about what hell probably looks like and feels like I was living it. I was living it back then. Right. Um, and that's, it's, my worst enemy, I wouldn't want him to have to live through that. That's a fact. Um, and I remember specifically, like, 
begging God to take my life or somehow give me some courage to fight again. Um, and truthfully, selfishly, uh, I was hoping for the take my life part because I just, at this point in my life, I was out of energy to fight the addiction. And, uh, I was tired of trying to answer the bell because it seemed like every time I did, um, I was just getting knocked back down with another haymaker. And that over time, that just wears on you. But, uh, yeah, it's all self-inflicted, right? I don't blame any of this on anybody else but me, to be clear. But, um, later that year, um, I woke up one day with every intention of it being my last day on earth. And, uh, I remember sitting on the corner of my bed at my mom's house and kind of the setup in that room was like corner of my bed. There was a big dresser there with a big window, uh, and had these really cool blinds that you could pull shut and, uh, like no light would get in. And it was a really dark room. It was a Navy blue, Navy blue room. Um, and I had like cracked open the top, uh, the top part of the blind. So I get, a, I just see myself in the mirror and, uh, I must have sat on the corner of that bed, looking at myself in the mirror for three hours, just trying to decide like, if this is going to be what my final, the final chapter of my life look like, like I can still see myself looking at myself in that mirror today. And, uh, it's scary when you think about that now, um, because of where I'm at. Right. Um, but there's been a few times in my life where God's pulled, tugged on me a little bit. And, uh, two times specifically, he, when my youngest son, I had to do CPR on him and, and he gave my wife the clarity to get her to the hospital without killing us and gave me the clarity to remember how to do CPR and stay calm in that situation. That wasn't me working. That was God working. Right. And, um, you know, when I look back to me staring at myself in that mirror, wondering what my final chapter was going to look like, um, you know, God gave me the nudge and the courage to answer that bell one more time. And, uh, I talked in the past, I've talked in the past about that snippet that people get when you're close to death and it tells a story about your life and like, you're either proud of it or you're not. And, Oddly enough, the snippet of my life, um, it wasn't a terrible version I'd convinced myself of, right? What I saw was hope. What I saw was a chance. And what I saw put me back on the offensive and helped me start writing my path in life. And that's, you know, little intervention from God. Hey, you know, take the wheel, my man. And, and he did. And, uh, you know, I remember calling my Dustin or calling my cousin Dustin. I, I owed this part of the story to him because I said, "Hey, dude, I need a job. Can you help me out?" Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure he was slightly hesitant because just kind of where we were in our relationship, and he knew what I was going, what what all was going on with me. But um, had a job the next day at Jack's place on Woody Jones Boulevard. These are answered prayers, man. Uh, and I always joke with my father-in-law now. Um, cause he owned Jack's place and 
all of his businesses, we always say his businesses are like that Netflix show, uh, Last Chance You, because he's going to give, he'll give anybody an opportunity to work hard and get their life straight, right? And uh, he gave me an opportunity. I, I did my best not to screw it up. Um, I knew where I was in life. I was out of options. And uh, to this day, I, I don't think he ever knows, he even knows what a mess I was in when he hired me, but I know I'll be forever grateful for him for not asking too many questions and, and giving me a shot. So this is where things get interesting. And this is kind of my motive that was my, really my motivation for, for getting out of where I was. And I remember about three days into my new job, um, the boss's daughter, her name's Catherine. You know, she drove a white little Mercedes SUV. She parked it right at the front door. Okay. Um, so I saw it when I pulled into the parking lot. And hey, I'd heard some things about Catherine. You know, hey, hey, when Catherine's here, you got to you know, tighten up now. You know, don't be screwing, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I wasn't really sure how this day was going to work out. Because, I, you know, I'm three days in. I, I, to be honest with you, I was a terrible waiter. Okay. I was awful. Uh, absolutely horrendous. Um, but anyways, I, I remember walking in the door. And when you'd walk in the door, you had to walk around, you know, these booths and go into the kitchen. There's a computer there, drink machine to the right of it. I walked in to go clock in and man, there she is, man. She's making a drink. She used to make these lemonade drinks and she'd stand up there and it used to annoy the piss out of me. She would take the straw and like stick it down in there and like fill it up with ice, little, they had the good ice there, little Sonic ice. She'd like fill the, the ice up with the straw and then would like eat the ice out of the straw. It was like really weird and always annoyed me. Um, but anyways, that was a story for another day. And I just remember walking up to her and like feeling like I needed to introduce myself, but I didn't really know what to say. So I was like, hey, you must be Catherine. And she kind of looked at me like, and <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> and uh, it was kind of there where like, kind of saw the sense of humor that she had, the personality she had and all that. And, uh, you know, so I worked for her dad for a while and, um, you know, would see her Friday, Saturday and Sundays every week for like, you know, four or five, six, seven weeks. And, you know, we just kind of started building a relationship, started as a friendship. I, I remember she was, you know, going through her CPA, uh, certification and all that at that time. Like, you know, like do things like, pop up at her house with like a brand new notebook and stuff like that. Like for her to study with that, it sounds stupid, but it was just like little small things that like we would do stuff like that. And, um, I think finally I just one night had the courage to call her and tell her what, what I was thinking. And, you know, she didn't treat me like I was weird or anything. She just was like, all right, cool. Like you let me take you on a date. She was like, yeah, I'll pick you up tomorrow. <laughs> And she picked me up and she took me to Arizona's on Clemson Road on, uh, I think it's exit. It, it's not there anymore. It was Arizona's and it was JP's. It was off I-20. Um, I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I mean, I really thought I was going to get like a Jimmy John's date, you know, but we went to Arizona's, which is a pretty nice steakhouse. And so I remember like the whole dinner, I was like, man, I can't afford this. <laughs> I didn't tell her that, <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> as the, uh, as the check came, <laughs> I took a 20 out of my wallet and I handed it to her. I said, I'm gonna need you to take care of the rest of the bill. <laughs> and, uh, she took care of the rest of the bill 
And, uh, you know, it's a story for another day, but it's something we still laugh about. So, you know, life was, for me, life was finally looking up. Um, over time, I dropped addiction, re-enrolled in school. For the first time ever, I was an A-B student. I made the presidents and deans list in college. Um, yeah, I felt like me, her, and Jack, we were starting to build a life for ourselves, right? Um, you fast forward to today, we're over a decade later in the story, right? And I'm a college graduate. I've got two kids. Um, I've been married to love my life since 17 she was the most beautiful person I'd ever seen in my life. Then she's the most beautiful person I've, I've seen inside and out today. Uh, even today, uh, we built a tremendous life with each other. We've definitely had some hard times along the way, but we persevered through them and, and we came out on the better end because of them. Um, yeah, to this day, I, I don't look at our marriage and say, I, I say, I don't deserve what I have. I don't fundamentally broken person who was 15 minutes away from taking their last breath selfishly right and uh somehow i ended up to have all this and it it was through god it was through the big thing god gave me that nudge but for everybody it's finding the one thing to fight for right and uh the one thing that makes life worth living and uh for me that was at the time, it was Catherine and Jack, and today it's Catherine, Jack, and Holt, uh, and those other thirty-something kids that I get to call my sons every year from coaching them. But that's my story, right? That's my path to redemption. So, back to my original point of the story: answering the bell. Um, my path in life is why you never stop answering the bell, why you never stop throwing punches, and why you never give up. You know, I've been knocked down with haymaker after haymaker in life, all of which were self-inflicted. Uh, and I had zero hope that answering the bell again was going to get me anything more than another knockdown by life. Uh, but then one day I found the courage to answer the bell when I didn't want to. And my life changed forever in a positive way and set me forward on a path that I was supposed to be on. So, you know, one day you may find yourself in the same spot. Lucky for you, the cost of tuition is low right now. Um, you know, we're we're talking about having the courage to answer the bell in a high school baseball game where the worst thing that's going to happen to you is you lose the game, right? Later in life, though, you might have to make the choice of answering the bell or to not answer the bell. And the decision you make is going to have much larger implications, right? It might save your life. It might put you down the right path. It might do the same for your spouse, your kids, or a friend, Right? implications later are always going to be much more significant. That's why we try to teach you all the lessons we can now. So if you can learn to answer the bell now, over and over and over again, you'll always, always, always have a chance for the rest of your life. You know, people ask me all the time, they say, well, dude, why do you, why do you coach, man? Like, there's no money in it. You spend a lot of time away from home. You know, I put a tweet out there last night. Like my wife sends me pictures, you know, when, when I'm not home, you know, I think she like, like trying to make me feel guilty a little bit. Um, but it's like of Jack, it's like the perfect photo. Catherine's walking on the um, treadmill. Holt's looking up to his, his big brother. Jack's working on his craft. Like that was a tweet. Those are things we miss, right? You know, why, why do I volunteer myself to miss those things? But the reason I do it is because 
our job as people is to leave the world better than we found it. And my avenue for doing that is through this game and through the young men and coaches. I get the privilege to coach and be around every day, right? Uh, our jobs to inspire people, build people by teaching them lessons from the moments we never thought we'd recover from. So maybe, just maybe, our voice can be the voice that leads them down the path to the life they never thought was possible, right? That's what it's all about. Um, and that's where I'm at today. I'm living proof that by answering the bell over and over and over again, you can live a life that you never thought was possible. That's it. That's how I got to where I'm at. So that's my story. Um, about 45 minutes deep. Um, so I'm going to shut it down. But thank you to everybody. I got to tell you, the 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 motivation I've gotten from all the messages, um, the likes, follows, subscribes, all the stuff that I've gotten from everybody who's been a part of this, this journey for me has been incredible. And I can't thank you all enough for it. Um, I was talking with somebody yesterday, Shan- Shannon Hardy. Okay, I've talked about him a little bit. You know, I've always thought the world of Shannon Hardy. And like, and, and his boys, specifically Jake, because Jake represents everything great about just being nothing against Will. Will just, Will always worked hard, but, you know, Jake had to work harder. Um, but, you know, I can't say Jake without talking about a couple other kids too. JR. 100%. I haven't talked about JR enough in these podcasts. Uh, but Jake and JR, those two specifically, um, they represent everything great about like guys who are blue collar and 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 go to work and and all that. I just I'm proud of I'm proud of everybody too. I don't want I'm about to go down a rabbit hole here. All right, I got I got to stop. Um but back to the Shannon Hardy thing. Um yeah. Meant the world. He called you, hey, where's the next episode at, man? I'm driving to Greensboro. I've listened to every single episode. I'm caught up now. I need another episode to listen to. You know, it makes you think, dang, man, like people are actually listening to this thing and and just as a good feeling. So, anyways, that's all I got. Thank you for the support. Thank you for listening to this. You know, this is my journey. It's who I am. So, if it offended you, I'm, I'm not sorry. Um, you know, I'm still qualified to coach your kid. I'm still the same guy. You just now know a little bit more about my life. So that's all I got. Until next time, be easy, be cool, and go Bruins.